Last week, we jumped back into our series in the Sermon on the Mount, and today we actually come to the end of the first section. If you remember the beginning, Jesus started the sermon with the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes is where Jesus turns the values of this world upside down, and he tells us about the values of another world. And what they look like when they operate inside of this broken world. We can't forget what the Sermon on the Mount really is. It's where Jesus turns everything on its head. Just imagine if Jesus showed up for church today. He walked in, maybe wearing his Redeemer Rockwall t-shirt. And he walked up to this pulpit. And he said those very words to us. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the persecuted. Is there not a gravitas to those words? We feel the weight of them. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching an entirely different way of living. A whole new way of being in this world. Because he's teaching us what it means to live as citizens of his world. So that we might become everything that he intends for his people to be. A people that reflect the character and nature of God. And so far we've covered these statements where Jesus says, You've heard it said to you. But I say, because Jesus has been pushing back against all of the wrong interpretations of the law that were taught by the scribes and the Pharisees. And today we come to the last of these, the last two of these you've heard it said statements. And we're only going to cover the first one today, but they need to be seen together because they so closely go hand in hand. And friends, these are also some of Jesus' most radical and challenging statements that you will find anywhere in his ministry. Because what he teaches us goes against every impulse we have as fallen humans. Because he gives us an entirely different orientation towards the world and the evil within it and the evil done to us. So today, Jesus wants to talk about retaliation and love. Now, I know that none of you have ever entertained any thoughts of retaliation or revenge, but there are people in other churches that do. (laughs) And there were evidently some people there that day that Jesus felt needed to hear this. But just in case, here's a question for you to think about as we work our way through Jesus' teaching. What do you do when you're wronged? What do you do when you're wronged? Jesus starts with the statement. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. Eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. Now he's quoting directly from the Torah, the Old Testament law. You find that in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 19. It was incredibly well known because it was the basis for civic justice in Israel. 
And that phrase, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, is what's become known as the lex talionis, which is Latin for the law of equal retribution. The law of equal retribution. But also, if you remember in previous weeks, we've talked about how the law is rooted in love. It's summarized in two commands, love God and love neighbor. All of the law, all, hundred, all the 600 of them are summarized with those two sentences, love God, love neighbor. That's the very heart of the law. But then we read eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, and we can think, well, that does not sound very loving. So why is that law in there? Well, because people don't always love God and love neighbor. God is a God of love. God is love. But God is also a God of justice. Keep in mind that the law was also a constitution, if you will. It was the document that governed life and culture and civics in Israel. And so it contained measures that recognized that Israel was a sinful, fallen people that didn't always exhibit the love that they were called to, and instead they did evil to one another. And usually when you hear someone reference eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, the context doesn't actually match up with God's intentions for why he put this in the law in the first place. Because usually when we hear it, it's usually in reference to someone taking revenge. So what did the lex talionis really mean? And why did God put it in the law? And what is Jesus wanting us to get out of it? Well, it's in there for a few reasons. One, it promoted justice. Because it protected against unfair retribution. It demanded that the punishment had to fit the crime. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, wound for wound, life for life. It protected against corruption. So that a judge of Israel couldn't be like, well, you know, I never really liked that guy anyways. He stole an apple, so it's time for him to die. But it also protects against the opposite, where the judge might say, well, you know, a, a buddy of mine got himself into trouble, so I'm going to help him out, and I'm just going to give him a little slap on the wrist. Both are perversions of justice. But secondly, it actually restrained evil. It was a deterrent because it demanded justice. It demanded equal retribution so that the people would have to think twice before doing something to harm their neighbor, knowing that the exact same thing would be done to them. And third, it kept justice in the public sphere and out of the private sphere. The lex talionis was addressed to the judges and rulers of Israel, not to individual people in order to prevent individuals from just engaging in their own form of vigilante justice. That's great for the Batman movies, but not for real life. Because most often, the least rational person involved is who? The one who's wronged. They don't want repayment. 
They want revenge. And so if we put all this together, the law is where you see love and justice wedded together. Now, if Jesus says, you know, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, and that actually is in the Old Testament, then is Jesus saying, well, you've heard it said that way, but it's actually all that's wrong. And so I say something different to you. No. What Jesus is addressing is how Israel had taken the lex talionis and they'd moved it out of the public sphere, and they were being taught to incorporate it into the private sphere. They had become a people of vengeance, revenge, repaying evil with evil, and vigilante justice. They had become a a people whose posture towards the world was built on resistance and revenge. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But then Jesus goes on, and what he says next is probably when some people started to walk away. He says, you've heard it said to you, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Do not resist the one who's evil. Do not resist the one who would do you evil. When you are wronged, you don't have to fight back. You can put your sword back into its place, Peter. You do not have to fight back. Now this passage is often used as the basis for what's known as Christian pacifism. And these questions usually get brought up when you come to a passage like this. And just very briefly, Christian pacifism is essentially a view that says followers of Jesus should be devoted to nonviolence and non-retaliation in all circumstances. And some would even take it so far as to say that Christians shouldn't even be soldiers or police officers because it would betray Christ's commitment to nonviolence. Now, I am not a pacifist, nor do I agree with that. As I would go to Eric Camp and Brian Hartger and say, all right, guys, if you want to serve Jesus, if you want to follow him, I need your badge. Come on. It doesn't feel right. And yet, to be fair, there are many that I do respect that are pacifists. And I do believe they're trying to take Jesus' words seriously. But it's a little too ivory tower for me. Jesus isn't talking about the role of the state, nor is Jesus talking about the role of civil authorities. He's talking about you personally when you are wronged. But it also just takes what Jesus is saying, and it puts it into the abstract. And it starts applying it to the most extreme circumstances. So passages like this make people start to go to these ex- the extension of what it could possibly mean. And they come up with these extreme circumstances of like, okay, so imagine that somebody breaks into your house, and they hold you at gunpoint, and they tie up your family. What do you do? Right? That's not what Jesus is talking about. And sometimes I think we jump to the abstract just because we don't really want to apply what Jesus is telling us. 
as though someone not enlisting in the army means that they have captured the essence of Jesus' teaching. And I personally think that all of it misses the point of what Jesus is really saying. Because the examples he gives are anything but abstract. So what does he say? He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. He specifies the right cheek because it implied a backhanded slap, which was an incredible insult to the dignity of the individual. And that still is in certain cultures to this day. Turn the other cheek. Then he says, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak too. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Roman soldiers could command citizens to carry their armor for up to a mile. And Jesus says, if they do, go with them too. And if anyone would beg of you, give to them. Do not refuse them. Are those abstract examples? I think Jesus is talking about things that happen to them all the time. Not some random event that could maybe possibly happen. Israel had become a people and a culture that were busy slapping each other, suing each other, insulting each other, always trying to gain the upper hand over and against each other. And we do the same thing in our culture. We just do it digitally. But Jesus says, no, when you are confronted with evil, do not resist them. Seek their good at your own expense. Seek their good at your own expense. They ask you for something, give more. this doesn't make us uncomfortable, then you haven't really heard Jesus. But we also have to be careful here. Because these are examples that Jesus is not intending for us to take, literally. Because what I mean is Jesus is not creating four new laws and saying, here guys, go do this. Right? Because most likely if someone sues you, it's not for your tunic. No. He's illustrating a totally different posture towards the world with these simple illustrations. He's teaching us what it means to have a different, different posture towards the evil in this world that's rooted in the character and the nature of God. He's not talking about laws. He's talking about love. Think about it like this. Imagine there's a young man in the audience that day who really wanted to follow Jesus. So he hears all of this and he says, great, I got it. Then the next time a Roman soldier comes to him and asks him to carry his armor for a mile, he remembers Jesus' words and he carries it too. Then he runs back to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, I've done what you've told me. I carried it two miles. What next? But Jesus says, friends, you didn't understand what I was saying. But then the man says, yeah, but rabbi, I did exactly what you said. I carried it two miles. 
But then Jesus says, yes, but what you should have done, you should have carried it three. Because who are you really carrying it for? As long as you thought that you were getting something out of it, you were happy to carry it two miles. But what I'm after is that extra one. That sacrificial mile where you seek their good, not your own. Jesus is giving us these examples to illustrate this radical posture towards evil. That doesn't repay evil for evil, but one that does good in the face of it. One that seeks to do good. One that goes the extra mile, even when they're inconvenienced and defrauded. And we bristle at this. Of course we do, because it goes against every impulse that we have. Because when we are wronged, man, we want to start dropping elbows like the macho man Randy Savage off the top rope. And you don't have to teach it. It's as natural to us as breathing. We see it with our kids who taught them to hit. You, who taught them to bite, who taught them to scratch. A while back, Ava was frustrated because Asher wouldn't help her do something. And she got mad and I saw it on her face and she goes, oh, daddy, I need backup. <laughs> like she wanted us to just turn into a little tag team. She wanted justice. Evidently, she's watching some reruns of cops somewhere in the middle of the day. I don't know. It's so natural to us to retaliate. And we bristle at this. And yet, can you imagine how much this audience that Jesus is talking to would bristle at this? Jesus is not talking to upper middle class folk, he's not talking to power and influence. He's talking to people that have only ever known oppression. These are people who were taken advantage of, beaten down, robbed, humiliated, disgraced, powerless before the powerful every day of their life. So just imagine how much rage filled the hearts of these people. Can you imagine how much they longed for vengeance? In fact, that's the one thing that the entire nation of Israel was waiting for. Vengeance. But then when God shows up, he says, no. Love them. Seek their good. If you want to be my people. So you can imagine the resistance the people felt when Jesus said these things. Don't you know what's been done to me? Don't you know what's been done to my family? Don't you know what they have taken? And you just want me to roll over and take it. And yet it's to these very people that Jesus says the most radical Worldview reorienting statement. 
Don't resist the one who is evil. Love your enemies. Don't fight back. Fight instead to show goodness. It's okay to be taken advantage of. It's okay when you're wronged. There is another way. Now let's be honest for a second. Especially the men. I think when we hear Jesus say things like this, it can tap into some subconscious thoughts that we have about Jesus and why sometimes it's a struggle to follow him. We hear him say things like this, and in the back of our minds we think, Jesus is soft. Jesus is just weak. He's just kind of a teddy bear and a pushover. And we picture him like Pantene Pro-V commercial Jesus. Perfectly windblown hair. Just wants to give everybody a hug with really moisturized hands. So we hear him talk about non-retaliation and loving your enemies, allowing yourself to be wronged and to be taken advantage of in the face of evil and wrongdoing. And we think to ourselves, that is just so impractical and disconnected from the reality of this dog-eat-dog world. Like, well, that's all great. That's all fine. Jesus, if you're writing an episode of My Little Pony, but that doesn't work in this real world, man. And that's all you've got? I'm just supposed to be a doormat? So what is Jesus really saying with all this? What are we missing? We so naturally cling to an eye for an eye posture towards the world. We want justice. We want our pound of flesh when we've been wronged. We want to meet evil with repayment. But then Jesus says, don't resist the one who is evil. Why? Why does he say that? It's because Jesus is not telling you to be a doormat. He's actually telling you how to destroy evil. He's teaching you how evil is defeated in this world. I think this is so counterintuitive and foreign to us that the only way that we can see it and understand it is to look at the cross. Because the cross is where it all comes together. Because the cross is where Jesus practiced what he preached. It's where we see that Jesus wasn't asking his people to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself. It's where Jesus says, this is what I really mean, and this is how much I mean it. Remember Tenebrae a couple weeks ago? Do you remember how the whole story began with Jesus having the opportunity to meet the ones who would do him evil with power and repayment? To fight back, to resist. But he doesn't. He tells Peter to put his sword back in its place. He 
grabs that soldier by the head and heals his ear. And then he says, do you not think that I could call down 12 legions of angels? You have no idea the power that's waiting for me at my very word. It's okay, Peter. It's supposed to be this way. It's okay to be wronged. It's okay to not fight back. Because Jesus was not concerned with repaying evil. He was only concerned with destroying evil. And that, friends, is an entirely different category. And how all of this works, I actually, I can't tell you. I can't explain it. Because this invites us into a deep mystery that is so profoundly and deeply rooted in the character and the nature of God. I can't explain it. I can't tell you all the parts and gears of how it works, but I can certainly point you to the effects. Because didn't this story melt your heart? Was your heart not moved when he was led like a sheep to the slaughter? When he opened not his mouth as everyone threw insults at him and mocked him and said, prophesy to us Christ? Or when he was struck on the cheek over and over and beaten and they grabbed his beard and they ripped it out and they said, tell us who hits you. Or when he was wrongly sued and indicted with false charges and they ripped off his tunic and they cast lots for his cloak all the while he's being whipped in the background. Or when he walked the extra mile on the Via Della Rosa, not carrying our armor, but carrying our cross, on his shredded back, moisturized by his own blood. Or how when the thief on the cross next to him begged from him. And just asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. Jesus did not refuse him but with slurred speech from a swollen face. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. And when he said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit, love and justice were perfectly wedded together in his crucified flesh. And why did Jesus do all this? Why did he say nothing? Why didn't he fight back? Why did he just stand there and then kneel there and then lay there and just take it? Because he wasn't interested in repaying you for your evil. He was destroying it. And not just destroying evil out there somewhere in the ether of the cosmos. No, he was destroying the evil in your heart. He wasn't interested in repaying you. He was redeeming you. He was restoring you. He was reconciling you. He was defeating evil for you. It's the cross where Jesus confronts all of that evil in our hearts, and we experience the effects of this strange mystery because it's where we are confronted with the power of his disarming, divine, evil-crushing love where we look at how our evil was repaid 
with his goodness. And what's it do? It melts our hearts. It crushes our defenses. It is a mystery that I cannot tell you how it all works, but I know the cross certainly tells us this. The only thing that ever defeated evil was a willing victim. Jesus does not want us to be busy repaying evil. He wants us to participate in destroying it. You know, think about your own life for a second. Think of how when you've been wronged, or even perceived to have been wronged, doesn't vengeance fill our hearts so quickly? We lash out. We revile when we're reviled. We want to take our pound of flesh. We want eyes for an eye. We want teeth for a tooth. We repay evil for evil. We take justice into our own hands and we give evil the very thing that it needs in order to thrive. We give it a fight. Here's the real question. Does that change anything? Does it make you feel free? Jesus says, how about offering all of that a willing victim instead? How about you walk in my ways? What if you stop trying to repay all that evil and you lay hold of the only power that can destroy it? Friends, this is probably like one of the hardest things I have to say to you, at least that I can remember. The cross gives you permission to be wronged. The cross gives you permission to be wronged. The cross gives you permission to be wronged. The cross gives you permission to not fight back. Why? Because the cross is where Jesus says to us, There is not one ounce of wrong or evil in this world that will escape my gaze. All of it will be accounted for one way or another. I see the wrong done to you. I know the pain that you've gone through. It's okay. You don't have to fight. I am your judge. Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. And you can rest in my justice. Let go of retaliation. You can let it go and be free. Maybe that's what your marriage needs. One who's willing to absorb those rough days and the harsh words of your spouse when they're not at their best. And you still seek to love them in that extra mile kind of way, the way your Savior has loved you. Maybe that might just melt their heart. 
Maybe that's what your job needs. To stop fighting out of your own ego and self-importance with a coworker. Or those parents at your school who just seem out to get you and just seem to cast blame on you and they're, they're after you. And instead, you are free to seek their good. As best as you can, to speak well of that coworker when you have the chance instead of gossiping about them to get your pound of flesh. You are free to seek their good because you have a Savior who is actively seeking yours. This is the disarming, evil-destroying power that Jesus calls us into and calls his people to be. It's what Bonhoeffer so beautifully calls a visible participation in the crucifixion. It's how we share in the sufferings of Christ. And if we share in his suffering, then we will share in his life, we will share in his power, and we will share in his victory. It's why Paul says in Corinthians, it's okay. It's okay. Why not just let yourself be defrauded? Why not just let yourself be wronged? Aren't you so tired of fighting? That's why Peter says that Christ has given us an example that we might follow in his footsteps. And the first example he gives is that he did not revile back when he was reviled himself. They are not telling us to be passive. They are telling us to participate in the power of the cross so that its evil-destroying love might be at work in our homes, our jobs, our schools, our church, our community. So that we would know the freedom of being a people that have let retaliation go because they've laid hold of the power of redemption for the glory of Christ and the life of the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we rest in your goodness. Your words are hard for us. We're always looking for a way out. Might we just sit in the heaviness of it? Might we feel its weight, but might above all we see its beauty? That we we have received the benefit of these very words because you did not repay our evil with evil, but you repaid it with goodness so that we might be redeemed. And you give us a meal to remind us of this each and every week. And so we ask this morning that you would disarm us at your table. We ask that you would remove our defenses at this table. We ask that you would deal with the grudge in our heart at this table. We ask that you would remove the vengeance at this table. And we ask that you would fill it with your love. The type of love that knows it exists in this broken world where evil is a given. The type of love that frees us from retaliation and repaying and nursing grudges and anger and imprisoning our thoughts and our minds and our hearts and instead... We entrust all things to you, our Savior, Master, and Judge. We ask all of this and so desperately ask that you would meet us here this morning and forgive us our sins and give us new life.
We ask all this in your powerful name. And all God's people said, amen.